Well, greetings to everyone in Jesus' name, and welcome to the, to the house of the Lord, and to the worship of his name. I'll worship the King in the beauty of holiness. Well, it's a joy to be here. Uh, my heart and mind are full of many things. We were in Wisconsin yesterday attending the wedding there, and as always, that stirs many things in one's heart and mind, and blessing to be there and see the young couple uh, serving the Lord and coming together and beginning a new uh, home. And I'm thinking of marriage and the blessing of marriage, and I did consider preaching on that, but didn't feel led to do that particularly, though it would have been profitable, I'm sure, for us to be reminded. It was good for me to just sit there and hear a message on that and hear them exchange their vows and causes one to reflect back on our journey, our vows, and how that has worked out through these 30 plus years and, and the blessing of marriage and all of that. So. And then fellowshipping with the saints, and um, that was a blessing. But I also had a few burdens on my heart and some disappointments, and one of those is seeing there some who seem to be losing their way. And that's not unusual, unfortunately. Uh, many times when there's a gathering, of folks from years gone by, friends and family, and many different places come together at a wedding, and you see those who once walked with us, once lived and believed the things that we believe, and now they're going a different way. And that's, that's sad, and that's one of the burdens on my heart. I guess, and I'd like to speak to that uh, to a certain extent this morning. And you may, in your mind, you may even think, well, why do I say they're losing their way? Just because they don't come to our church anymore? Well, it's deeper than that. And I'm not necessarily judging where everyone is at. Um, and I'm not making it just specific to the folks we saw yesterday, because you know them. They're in your life, and in the places you go, you see folks you once knew who are losing their way or have lost their way. And I'm talking about some who have completely forsaken the way. And there's some who still profess to follow Christ and I believe are very sincere. I have no doubt about their sincerity. But I see they've also forsaken things they once believed. Um, they've forsaken what they were taught by their parents and they are now aligning themselves with a more broad evangelical um, 
practice of Christianity. So I'm not necessarily uh, judging them, but I, I would just urge all of us to stay the course. Keep the faith. Stand strong. And there are many things that, that oppose our walk with the Lord. Another thing, seeming maybe unrelated, uh, but it, it um, bears on this a bit, is that visiting with brothers from different fellowships and hearing some of the things they're going through and finding there's, I think I know of at least three, just in conversation yesterday, three different fellowships going through various brotherhood discussions about way of life and practice and, and trying, to, trying to define some things. And one common refrain that seems to be brought up is there is fear among some and warning that we're going we're gonna to lose our way in, in legalism. And we're going to, uh, you know, we're, we might go astray in trying to be too strict or too defining of our, our way. And, and I can, I think that's not a totally invalid concern because we see what people who have gone that way, they, they've lost their way. But I fear that if we sound that alarm too loud, too long, and only that one, we're going to never take a hold of any practical application, and it may actually frighten us away from, from doing what we ought, out of fear of being too legalistic. So that's a that's a burden on my heart too and so I have a, a few things I'd like to share this morning and and at the outset I'm sure it's going to seem totally disjointed I hope to draw it together to a certain extent uh, in the end so I don't lose you but I'd like to start out first of all with some bear stories all like bear stories, stories about real bears. And we'll talk about some lions too. Now the Bible does talk about lions and bears. There are some bear stories in the Bible, but here's some up-to-date bear stories. <coughs> Yesterday, after the wedding and visiting, we met up with Martha Petrusevich, and some of you are good friends with her, and you've possibly heard some of these stories, but she was recounting to us her experiences going to Siberia and visiting there and kind of a mission trip and she has intent to go back, I think she said in February of next year she's going back, but she recounted how they went to a very far north remote area where it was beyond all roads, far beyond roads. They traveled by river on boats that here would be consigned to the scrapyard, but there they're still in use and traveled for many hours and uh, upriver into these remote areas where 
There are a few saints, and they met some of them and were well received and welcomed in, but these people live a life very different from ours. They live in the far north country and, and they live in the land of bears. She was recounting how you don't want to go far from your cabin without a, without a gun to protect yourself from the bears. And she recounted how they were going downriver in a boat and this, this boat is, is full and it's fairly small and it's just this far from the edge of the boat down to the water and, and it's the dead of night and they have no light except for one little, little weak flashlight. And she said, in, and they need to refuel and it's quite a ways. They have some extra gas in cans, but you don't stop along the river bank to refuel. You refuel en route. You just take what little light you have and you pour in the fuel because you don't stop on the bank for fear of bears. Uh, they may attack you. Grizzly bears. And she said, uh, bears have even been known to swim out to the boats. So she said, they're going down the river in the dark of night, and I'm in the boat, you know, it's only this far out of the water, and if they hit a log and dump into that icy water, it's, it's over. There's, there's, they're done. So it was quite interesting stories, and you know Martha, she can... She can make the stories very interesting. But she also recounted of a time when uh, some folks were trapped in their cabin because there were two bears outside roaming around and they didn't dare come outdoors. They called for some help for some folks to come over and, and deal with the bears before they dared to venture out. So that's a bear story from the other side of the world. But there are some closer bear stories. We, in 2016, we took a family trip to Yellowstone. And that's bear country. And we saw a few bears. We even saw some grizzly bears. Now we were relatively safe staying with our vehicle and sticking close to the road. And some people rather foolishly came far too close to the bear. And there's warnings about bears all over the place. Stay away from any bears. Keep at least 150 yards away from any bear. Well, these folks wanted to get a picture, and they'd get much closer. But uh, we didn't see any harm come to them, fortunately. We also saw some black bears. But while we were in bear country, we were warned... Uh, and there was regulations in the campgrounds and so on. You were not to leave any food or food utensils, coolers, kettles, anything out in the open, unattended. And they had bear-proof lockers, a little big steel box that you could open up and put all your stuff in there and, and close it up and... All trash was to be put in the dumpsters. They were bear-proof dumpsters, and you were expected to abide by the rules. Well, this past week, 
There was an account in the newspaper of the 30-some-year-old hunting guide who had a client and they were out hunting and he was attacked by a bear and mauled to death by a grizzly bear. Right near the junction between Yellowstone Park and Teton National Park. Well, that was the very area we visited. So bears are to be respected. I think in this account the uh, they had gone hunting the day before had, uh, and the hunter had shot an elk but they were unable to uh, find it or so they went back the next day and they found the elk uh, where it had been, they had I guess had a good kill shot and were in the process of dressing out this elk when this bear suddenly attacked them. and. The man lost his life. Well, the other, I think the hunter escaped with little or few injuries at least, and maybe none, I'm not sure, I don't remember the details, but here's a man probably well versed in what to do and how to protect yourself against a grizzly bear, but was taken unawares at a moment when they had, you know, were occupied and busy with their with dressing out their meat there. Well, another bear story. Jewel and I went to uh, Colorado in mid-August for a week. And that also is bear country. However, there's no grizzly bears there, only black bears. And again, we were warned and uh, told to take care of our trash and even reproved when we didn't follow the rules, which is due to a misunderstanding, but I read the statistic that said experts believe there's only about 30 black bears in the region around Rocky Mountain National Park and surrounding area, and I thought to myself, that's huge. 500 and some square miles. I mean, those bears could be way back in the mountains, and why are they so concerned about trash? I wonder, I really wonder how many bears actually come around. You know, if there are so few bears in such a huge mountainous area. Well, I was rather surprised. We hadn't been home about a week before I saw a report in the newspaper that in Estes Park, the very town where we were in, in the middle of the night, a black bear had wandered into the downtown hotel, pushed the door open and went into the lobby and kind of wandered around there, uh, climbed up on the furniture and nosed around while the the uh, night uh, clerk was videoing this bear <laughs> and after a few minutes he turned around and wandered out the door again and no harm was done. And the guests were undisturbed according to the report in the paper and most of them none the wiser. So there are bears in Estes Park, you know, and maybe this idea about the trash isn't so far-fetched. Those are black bears. Grizzly bears are something else. They're, they're a little more fearsome. 
Now, a black bear needs to be respected, too, because they can be dangerous. Now, some stories about lions. We think of lions over in Africa, and they're, they're to be feared, and they're known to attack people, and it's, it's, you need to reckon with them. Well, over here, we have mountain lions, but not in our country so much. Maybe, perhaps, rarely. But for the most part, we don't think about them. But out west, their numbers are increasing. And in Colorado, there's numerous accounts of, of mountain lions and sometimes of attack people. It's reported in the state of Washington and Oregon. This past summer, uh, Jules' nephew out there had put out some trail cams for elk way back in the mountains and got some video clips of a mountain lion walking across the logging trail road there just in broad daylight. And a few weeks later, got another video clip, this time with uh, the cubs following after the mother. So there's a family growing there. And then, just weeks ago, there was a report of a, of a woman. And this took place in uh, Mount Hood National Forest, only about 30 miles from the area where we used to live and where uh, Jules' family relatives live. A woman went missing in her early 50s, some year uh, age and was missing for about two weeks. And then her body was discovered and they believe from the evidence that she was attacked and killed by a mountain lion. Now, those are somewhat rare, but they're, they're happening. They're around. Now, as I give these stories, it's a little hard for us to really visualize what it's like to live in a place where that is a present reality. And we tend to kind of push away the, uh, and, and think, well, that, you know, that happens far away. And, and even going and traveling to those areas, like we went to Yellowstone, it was a little hard to wrap your mind around the concept of living in a constant awareness of these creatures. But I think by the time we left there, having seen a few bears and, and seeing and hearing some of these things, that I realized that it's, it's necessary to take some reckoning. If you're traveling in that country, remember, you're not in a zoo. Uh, they're not in your backyard all caged up and fenced in. You're in their country, and, and you're in their living room, and you need to reckon with that. Well, the connection with some of my concerns is that we have an adversary. We have... An adversary that the scripture refers to as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. 
We have the account of the bears that came and attacked the flock that David was watching and he took action against the bear who sought to devour the sheep. He took action against the lion who sought to devour the sheep. So the adversary is out there. And my concern about people who are losing their way are they becoming prey for the bears and the lions? And what do we do about it? Now again, it might be a little hard for us to wrap our minds around how this all works. You know, where, where do we take a hold? You know, the scripture is very clear that we don't necessarily need to fear these things. And I'd like for you to turn with me to the, uh, the passage there in, in 1 Peter chapter 5. And verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So I'm going to write the title here. Uh, my title is just... Uh, be sober, be vigilant. And it tells us why. just put down a few of these words to kind of impress them on our mind. Be sober, be vigilant because the devil is out to devour. We don't always see all the various ways that the devil might be there to try and devour. But we are not ignorant of his devices. He has many of them, and there are many dangers that beset us. And what I'd like to, um, we're going to come back to the bear story in a bit. Uh, later, but I'd like for us to think about the danger that we're in. We're faced with danger, and remember we're talking about people who are losing their way. And I want to remind us this morning that there are many reasons why 
people lose their way. And I think that's very evident from the scripture, and I'd like for you to just turn with me to uh, maybe two places. The one I'd like to read is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is recounting a number of experiences that he has had and the things that he faces. And we're going to just uh, break in here in verse 23 and following he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, in night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that were without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damasians with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. The point I want out of this passage is just the big picture that Paul in all his journeyings and all his labors faced many perils. He faced it from the natural elements. Simply a ship going down and he ends up in the water for a night and a day. He's in peril of robbers. Those are probably just indiscriminate attacks. You know, not because of his faith, but in hopes that he might have a little money. <laughs> they just go after anybody. He's also in peril from false brethren. And then, besides all that, is the care of all the churches. And he suffers from lack of food, he suffers from the cold, he suffers from many different things, any of which could be discouraging, they could press upon him physically to the point where he's unable to continue. In verse 30 he says, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities his own weaknesses, 
So in the big picture, why do people lose their way? There are many reasons. And I think we need to be aware that it's not just one thing. There are many reasons. Some get discouraged because of the difficulty of the way. Some are hurt by things that other people do, and they, they go away. Others are deceived. They begin to follow a false doctrine and they go astray. Well, of all the perils, we need to beware of them all. And we're back to our title here, Be Sober, meaning think, uh, think clearly, think logically, think reasonably, think in a calculating manner. Uh, be aware, be alert. And he says, be vigilant. Not just against the bear, not just against the lion. Be, be vigilant for all the things that oppose. And when it comes to spiritual things, that is especially true. We need to be aware of them all and guard against them. The other passage that came to mind, I'll just refer to it, is the seven churches that had a specific message there in Revelation 2 and 3. Christ had a message specific for every church. And if you read through them and look at the big picture, you see these churches, they faced people who had lost their first love. They faced people in their midst who had false doctrines. They faced people in the pews who simply got complacent and therefore lukewarm. They said, we're rich, we're increased with goods, we have need of nothing, we're well fed and clothed, and they simply got lukewarm. So it's not just the things that are without, it's not just the things that other people do to us, it's not just the heresies and the false teaching, it is all of that, it's also our own selves. We may get cold or indifferent. We need to be aware of that too, lest that bear get us. We are not ignorant of his devices. And if we consider the whole picture, we simply have to acknowledge there are many reasons why people lose their way. And any one of them, those ways, could ensnare us and trip us up. If we're not sober, thinking well, Vigilant. Now, let's go back to the bear story a bit and pick up there on the requirements for living in bear country. If you're at a campground, they have strict regulations. You are not to allow anything to be unattended. Well, in the week that we were there, 
uh, there was one occasion where we had various things going and everyone had left camp except Tyler was in the uh, camper with one of the children, I believe. And, and here the, uh, the camp attendant came around and stopped there and he spied a kettle out in the open, unattended. There's nobody around. And it's clearly stated they can confiscate anything that's left unattended and you face a fine in addition to that. But we didn't really want to lose our kettle. But you see, all we did with that kettle is boiled some water. And we had carefully put away everything else. But for some reason, I'm not sure why, that kettle was ignored or just, just left there thinking that, well, it probably doesn't matter. I mean, it's just water, anyway. But the regulations are, put everything away. Leave no kettle. And the camp attendant, he didn't know was there some savory meat in there or water. I mean, it didn't matter. If it's a kettle, you put it away. <laughs> it's that simple. And we almost lost our kettle. If Tyler hadn't showed himself real quickly and assured him that we'll take care of it, and, and he was very gracious to, but, uh, you know, put that thing away. Well, we, we were a little more careful after that. In our visit to Colorado here just a month ago, uh, we didn't properly deal with our trash. And we, it was supposed to go into a bear-proof dumpster. And they were very insistent that you take out your trash and you put it in the dumpster. You don't, yeah, you don't, don't leave your trash anywhere out in the open. And that was the policy throughout the city. And the reason was this. If you leave trash out where it attracts the bears, they'll come. And if they find easy meals, they'll come again. And when they do and move into the urban areas like that, they become a threat. These black bears, particularly, become a threat to any pets, cats, dogs, whatever, and even a threat to humans. Because if they get very aggressive and lose their fear of humans, they become a very dangerous animal. The, um, and that becomes especially critical when you're dealing with grizzly bears. You don't feed the bears. You don't leave anything out to attract the bears. And in the case there in this recent past week where the, um, where the man was killed by the grizzly bear, the uh, wildlife management people went after the bear. They hunted it down and killed the bear. Why? Because they know from study and experience that any bear that ever attacks or kills a human will generally lose their fear of humans and become a very dangerous animal indeed because they'll do it again. And so that is standard policy. And many times, even for black bears, if they become very accustomed to humans and lose their fear and start raiding dumpsters and trash and whatever, they will either capture them and, and take them many miles away, remote into the mountains, or 
some cases they'll kill them if they are deemed aggressive. Now I wondered what the connection is between taking out the trash and being saved from bears. You know, there was a point in our recent experience, well, even both cases, I, not having lived in bear country, I kind of bristled at the rigidness of these regulations about taking out the trash. Now, the connection I see is I am concerned that many people live their Christian life in a way that is careless and is leaving the door open to attract the bears. They are not willing to go and take the steps to refrain from attracting the bears. And while it seems very rigid to have to carry out the trash and make sure it's in a bear-proof dumpster, we couldn't go so far as saying that we are saved from bears because we have properly dealt with the trash. Because if you came face to face with the bear, you wouldn't argue about the issue of the trash. <laughs> you would take other measures. But, does that mean it's not important to properly deal with the trash? And we say no. That can't excuse us. We're negligent if we are careless about the trash because it's known what the habits of bears are. And we are not ignorant of Satan's devices either. And I think if we were to just draw some parallels and then let's not take the, uh, the illustration too far here. Let's keep it with the basics. But many people live their lives without the safeguards that help them avoid the attacks. And I have, I'm thinking of things like uh, moral purity, refraining from fornication and things like that. The scripture is very clear that we should flee youthful lusts. It talks about those kind of sins should not be once named among us. And I heard this um, some time back from a, from a man who was lamenting that in his church, there are too many reports of young girls getting pregnant, unmarried. And he was lamenting how, how awful that is, and I agree. But you know, for that to happen multiple times, I think something is wrong. Somewhere they have not set enough safeguards because the scripture clearly says it should not be once named among us. But you know very well there are many, many things that should be done to safeguard 
long before the actual sin and transgression. So if you think of that, and, and this might break down, but if, if you think about this attack of a bear, we do all we can to avoid provoking any attack or making any attraction for the bear. But you know, most times sin doesn't just suddenly pounce upon us, you know, like a, like a bear may, or a, or a lion. The scripture says we should resist the devil and he will flee from us. We need to put safeguards in place. And the safeguards are not, in a sense, directly our salvation. But they are crucial for us to stay away from the traps of the enemy. Stay away from the snare of the fowler. Stay away from Satan's devices. Flee these things. Put away things. We do not walk after the flesh. We walk after the Spirit so that we are delivered from the things that our flesh would want us to do. And so, maybe you've connected the dots already, but I'm coming around to the point of these fellowships talking about various things that, uh, you know, specific things of practice and lifestyle and, and so on. And the fear that, um, well, we might, be, we might be overcome with works or we might be overcome with legalism or we might be whatever. And I say, Let's be sober about this matter and realistic and look at the big picture and say, you know what? I'm not saved by works. I'm saved by the salvation in Jesus Christ. I am not necessarily um, I, I'm not saved only by my own efforts and the fact that I make sure the trash is in the right place and that I make no attraction for the wild beasts and whatever. I'm also saved by the shepherd. And here comes the illustration of the wolf, which we didn't really talk about. I don't have any wolf stories. But the scripture there in John is very clear that the wolf cometh to kill to steal and to destroy. And the shepherd stands guard there at the door. And when he sees the wolf come, he doesn't forsake the sheep, but he seeks to protect them. Now that brings in another aspect of why I think some people lose their way, and that is the whole concept that I as an individual, I can be saved, I'm, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't have to be with your fellowship. In fact, I don't, I guess I don't have to be with any fellowship. I can just, you know, but I'm saved, and I'm sincere, and I'm following Christ. Okay, 
But is that really how it is? Because the scripture says and makes it very clear that God has provided a sheepfold. And yeah, we're quick to say, well, it doesn't have to be your, your fault. Well, okay, okay, but you do need to be in a body in order to be protected. Does that body become your salvation? Well, it's not necessarily what makes you a sheep, is it? No. No. We, are, we become a sheep or a lamb by being converted, having our sins blotted out. And we are adopted into the family of God. But God has intended for his people to be in a flock and to be in the fold. And his desire is to have one fold and one shepherd. And I, th I think we, we understand how this works and we can think through this. There are many different fellowships, yes, but let's have it very clear that it's not acceptable to just be out there on your own because God made a lament through the prophets that his people were scattered on every high hill and they became prey for all the beasts of the forest. So when people are out there, not connected with the body, oh, they say, well, we're a sheep, you know, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still a Christian. I'm, and they may be very sincere, but if you're out there by yourself, not plugged into a body, not yielding yourself, even submitting yourself to a body, you become a target for the beasts of the field, the bears, the lions. They're out there. And it's like putting a target on your back. That's not popular in today's Christianity. But I think we need to settle it in our mind that God is not just looking for individual sheep. Yes, he is that but much more. He's looking also for a flock. He's looking for those who are gathered into a fold. That is the testimony that he wants for the world. To see not just a sheep here and there scattered on the hills, but a flock that is operating together in the, in the bonds of love and all the practical outworkings of the uh, of the body. Well, maybe just to uh, to restate what is kind of my last point here is the. Uh, this fearfulness of coming under legalism or a, or a law. I think the illustrations I gave, I hope they make a point that there are multiple reasons why people forsake the way. There are multiple dangers and we need to be aware of them all. We need to be willing to just live by God's standards. 
to be willing to put away the flesh in practical ways, being willing to live and, and not be afraid that, that the concept of taking care of the trash to save me from bears is, is the end of my salvation and become the whole, uh, it, it's not. But let's not neglect those things. They are very, very important. If we're going to walk honestly before God, we have to, in practical ways, put aside the flesh. We have to flee the things that we should not be a part of. We should not put ourselves in dangerous territory and not live carelessly. That, I fear, is a, is a very, uh, shall I say, a lost message in our day and the Christianity we see. They are not sounding the alarm to stand strong, to be diligent in the small things that can help us avoid the all-out assault of the enemy. Does that make sense? Beware of the bears. Beware of the bears. Well, may the Lord bless. I'll turn it over to Brother.